your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at Outlow underscore Winnipeg Jets. If you enjoy this episode and want to stay tuned for the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Today's episode is brought to you by RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com today and tell them Locked On sent you. On tonight's episode, I thought I'd recap yesterday's game against the Edmonton Oilers, which was... Um, yep, it was a hockey game. It definitely happened. I recall certain moments of it and also thinking to myself that I wish it wasn't at 10 p.m. so I could go to bed a little bit earlier. That aside, we'll also talk about some thoughts from today's Manitoba Moose game, which was an interesting win for the Moose. I would say interesting in the sense of, well, Michael Berdin might be pretty darn legit and is a, uh, well, he's going to be one of the lead anchors on that team because, to be honest, the rest of their roster is not so great. Before we talk about the Baby Jets, though, let's focus on the Adult Jets and how exactly they managed to lose to the Edmonton Oilers, which, you know, it it is what it is. I think their game a couple of days ago where they they won, you know, 6-5, it was pretty fortunate. You really couldn't argue that they deserved the full two points because, let's be honest, the Jets did not. Edmonton kind of paddled them for a solid, you know, 45 or so minutes last game, so I expected, I don't know, some kind of a response this game. What we got was actually not quite what I was hoping for. Um, it was, a, I guess it was a response, but it wasn't quite as pronounced as I was hoping. And uh, let's be honest, I think the Jets could be in for a rough next few weeks. In this first period, Edmonton basically came out and made a statement immediately, scoring two quick goals before the Jets had even really settled in for a couple of line changes. One of the goals saw Derek Forbort coming over and trying to double cover somebody, but he basically crossed the entire length of the ice that he should have been covering and marking and left an open man, and then ended up kind of stumbling over himself and leaving an opportunity for Edmonton to score very quickly. And then just a short moment later, Edmonton came back on another zone rush and apparently got through the slot basically untouched, and of course Leon Dreisaitl comes in on a, uh, a bit of a sharp angle shot. And this is a shot that you'd like Hellebuck to have if he's marking the far post, but unfortunately he just sort of whiffed on it, and Drysaddle puts Edmonton up 2-0. And the funniest thing was, like, the Jets came out and immediately generated a lot of offensive zone pressure, and so here I thought, you know, Winnipeg was going to have a great game. I think it was the third line that started one of the earlier shifts. There was a Perot shift. I mean, everyone that you would want creating offensive pressure, especially from your depth forwards, was creating chances around the net. So I, I thought that the Jets maybe had learned a lesson or two, and then all of a sudden Edmonton goes up 2 nothing, and the Jets just sort of fall apart a little bit. Ironically, the Jets, like, as, as frustrating as they were to watch, they weren't like uh, the other game where they got completely outclassed by Edmonton. This was more of a performance where it just sort of felt like their offensive impact and, and some of the finishing just wasn't there. You know, Mike Smith was okay, but I don't think he was, like, a major difference maker in this game. It just kind of seemed like Winnipeg was a little bit out of sync, especially on some of their offensive rushes. And one thing that really bothers me that the Jets still haven't figured out is that you're allowed to use more than one defender to actually attack inside the offensive zone. If you have them drop below the face-off circles and work around the goal line, in fact, you might see more results because 
Right now, the forwards don't really have a whole lot of offensive support. Relying on Neil Pionk to lead rushes and then just shooting uh, the pucks from the point for the rest of your defenders isn't really offensive support in the usual sense. The Jets used to be a lot more aggressive, especially in how their D would activate and sink deeper into the offensive zone. Is it a higher risk, higher gamble sort of situation? Yes. But let's face it, when the Jets get backed up in their own defensive zone, it's not like the defenders are actually marking out their guys and really getting a good handle on things. Aside from guys like DeMello, Pionk, and Forbort, the rest of the Jets skaters don't really do a whole lot to diffuse pressure inside their own zone, so Hellebuck often kind of has to fight through them and, and work mostly on his own trying to defuse situations and make stops. I think the Jets defenders don't really have a great awareness as far as where they need to be, who they need to be marking, and that means that you need to find other ways for your, your defensive skaters to actually have a tangible impact on the game for you and not against you. In the first couple periods, we didn't really see a whole lot of the Jets' D activating and jumping into the offensive zone. We did see Pionk leading a couple of rushes here, and actually he had a nice slap shot goal, which I think was a very fair reward. I'll say this for Pionk. Over the past couple of seasons, he's really grown as an NHLer, and I think he's a second-pairing blue liner that I'd like to keep around once the Jets have a more stable core. I think the way that he thinks about attacking the offensive zone how he's comfortable playing more like a winger or a center at a moment's notice and distributing the puck and creating offensive opportunities with genuinely intelligent attacking play and fairly good execution just makes me want to have him as as like a really good power play quarterback or somebody who's just effective at even strength in general. I know that in the past we were sort of upset when he wouldn't pass to Liney at a reasonable speed. It kind of seems like he's worked a bit more on that, and his power play distribution looks fine. I mean, a lot of what Pionk does on the power play is mostly through point shots and tip deflections anyway, so in that respect I don't worry about him too much. He's certainly a better option than Morrissey right now, and his overall game just seems to have grown a lot. Now I will say that, you know, as, as good as Pionk has become, he's still mostly like a number 3 or a number 4 deep. Garrett Hole, who you can follow at Garrett H-O-H-L on Twitter, had a very good point about this. He said, you know, a second pairing defender who's maybe a number four, no matter the depth of the team, is still just going to be that. You know, he can be a great player relative to the rest of the skaters around him, but he's still a second pairing guy. And I think that context is important to remember because as good as Pionk might be relative to his peers, he's still mostly like a second pairing defender, and you sort of have to measure your expectations and what you think he'll be able to contribute around that. That said, if there's one thing that I really do appreciate about Neil, it's that every time he does something, you know, I mentioned on Twitter, he gives all of himself into every play. No matter what, you always know that you're getting max effort from him, and even when it doesn't work, he always throws himself at problems and tries to solve it through sheer strength of will and application of his particular techniques, which in a lot of respects actually does come off more effectively than you'd imagine. He's actually a fairly physical defender, throwing himself into checks, winning body positioning, trying to contest pucks along the wall. I mean, he's like a, a guy who you wouldn't imagine to be a particularly physical player, and yet he, he involves himself on almost every sequence. And he threw a pretty nasty check yesterday, shutting down one Edmonton counter, so it's kind of funny to watch him really develop his game and become one of the top blue liners on this team. If the Jets were to keep Pionk, I do think you have to explore trading Morrissey because you don't really want two second-pairing guys on very expensive deals. If Morrissey doesn't turn it around, I think you have to think about moving him on, just because, you know, his contract is pretty long, he's expensive, and he just doesn't bring the sort of impact that you expected him to. Pionk legitimately does, and is somebody that if you got him on a, a reasonably sized contract with a decent amount of term, I think you'd actually get pretty decent value out of it. You just don't want to sink that much money into him and Morrissey at the same time, so uh, a lot of decisions for the Jets to make, 
But, you know, Pionk's goal aside in his own performance last night, the rest of the game still didn't trend in Winnipeg's favor, and I'll tell you a little bit about why in just a moment. Before then, though, I wanted to tell you a little bit about why Built Bar might become your favorite protein bar. That is, if it isn't already. For those of you who are longtime listeners of this podcast, you know by now that I'm a big fan of the Built Bar, and if you've never had one, it's a protein bar that's more like a candy bar with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. Of their 12 original flavors, I highly recommend a starting point of raspberry and mint brownie. But if the 10 other flavors sound super desirable and you really can't decide, be sure to check out their variety box, which includes all 12 original flavors, plus a sampling of their six brand new flavors. That's right, I said six brand new flavors, including caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. As good as these bars taste, they're even better for you, with most built bars clocking in at around 200 calories or less, 50 to 19 grams of protein, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, so they're great for keto diets as well as weight loss and weight maintenance programs. To place your order, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, don't forget promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com during checkout. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. Before we continue our thoughts and recap coverage of the uh, Winnipeg Jets versus the Edmonton Oilers from last night, I thought you should know about our new daily sports podcast, Locked on Today. We're covering everything you need to know about the Winnipeg Jets, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked on Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked on Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked on Today on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. And now, uh, some closing thoughts on Winnipeg's eventual loss to the Edmonton Oilers. You know, Winnipeg, I, I felt, actually played okay at even strength, but I think the biggest issue when you're playing somebody like Edmonton is when you make a mistake against a line that contains guys like Puya Yarvi, McDavid, Dreisaitl, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Even if you've had the run of even strength play, which the Jets technically did for most of the game, it doesn't really matter because those guys can punish you very quickly. I think the expected goals models all favored the Jets by a, a small margin or maybe like a moderate margin, but either way, I, I didn't really feel like the, the scoreline was particularly unfair. This was a game where the Jets just really struggled to find those soft seams and force Mike Smith into like uncomfortable saves or mistakes. You know, the Jets just didn't really get to those areas, especially in the slot. And when they did, it was kind of like there'd be one guy there or maybe two forwards, but no one was really open. And there is one tactical change that the Jets made later because this particular issue of the forwards being isolated was holding the Jets back from scoring. With like five or six minutes left, all of a sudden the Jets defenders actually got the go-ahead to drop deep into the offensive zone, which it's like way too late for that, right? In my opinion, I think you need to have those Jets D rolling at all times and creating waves of pressure. Part of what made the 17-18 Jets so successful was not only could you throw out four different lines out there and really bamboozle teams and just wear them down over time, but you also had strong puck-moving D who had very good offensive instincts, decent center of gravity, and an ability to shield the puck as they dropped deep into the offensive zone looking for passing outlets and applying more offensive pressure. You know, when your forwards are, are down near the net, one thing that often happens is like the Jets get blocked off very quickly. Sometimes the Jets puck movement is a little bit too static and they get sealed off by guys flopping around very quickly. So that's an issue, but I also think the Jets really need a couple of extra bodies to drop down below and create more passing options near the net so that they can actually move the forwards around and start rotating. Right now, it's basically just three forwards and like two defenders who occasionally sit there at the blue line, maybe take a point shot, 
maybe drop towards the face-off circle, but then they don't really do much else. And on the one hand, you'd say, well, maybe that's because they want to stop the counter, but then you see the Jets' defenders get beat flat-footed on the counter, and it's like, well, what's the point of taking a higher line and sitting near your opponent's blue line if immediately you just get beat anyways, right? If you're not there to stop them, then at least try and offer some more offensive support and create a bit more opportunity and chaos near the net. You know, right now the Jets' defenders aren't really capable of doing a lot else. You know, Pionk and Forbord and DeMello, sometimes Josh Morrissey, sometimes Tucker Pullman, those are the guys that Winnipeg is leaning very heavily on, and for the most part, some of those guys are not really in what you would call ideal roles. And of course, we've also got Nate Beaulieu, who's just struggling in general, and the rest of the guys are also in their own way struggling. Morrissey away from Truba kind of looks broken. Uh, Pionk and Forbord are definitely doing pretty well, all told, but they're also being asked to be top-pairing defenders when they're probably best suited for second-pairing duty at the high end. And, and, you know, you've got a lot of other third-pairing D and maybe Dylan DeMello, who's like a really comfortable second-pairing guy, but who mostly focuses on the defensive side of things. All of that said, I think the Jets still need to trust that these guys can carry the puck deeper into the offensive zone because right now the Jets forwards are just getting isolated. And when you have like five defending skaters swarming the three that you've got in the offensive zone and some of your skaters aren't really like play driving forwards, I kind of feel like there's a mismatch. It gets easier to defend the Jets because Winnipeg kind of makes itself into an odd man situation without ever really getting towards the slot. If Winnipeg is going to commit to this whole really low-end defense thing and and sort of just ride the wave, right, then they need to actually be willing to take more chances, and that may include having your D drop deeper into the offensive zone and activate a bit more frequently. We saw that the activations actually had an immediate impact with guys like Pullman and a few others jumping into the slot and taking some decent shots, and, you know, the guys were dropping behind the net, uh, holding the puck up, waiting for the forwards to get into better positions. DeMello was back there below the goal line like four or five times. Let your defenders be more than just defenders. Right now, I think Winnipeg is facing isolation as one of its biggest issues. There's a huge disconnect between the space between their forwards and their defenders. And, you know, even when they're in the defensive zone, like the the blue liners tend to leave a huge gap that allow easy zone entries and passing lanes that really shouldn't be open. Take your chances and cut your losses. You're going to concede goals. We already know that the Jets' blue liners have a little bit of an issue trying to man-mark or do their weird man-zone scheme that the Jets seem hell-bent on keeping to. So, accept that you are going to have some issues and just push a little bit more of an offensively styled system. If you can just wear down your opponents over time and exhaust them into making mistakes, Winnipeg's forwards are more than capable of capitalizing on those opportunities. Don't be afraid to be the one who's the aggressor, you know, and I think that that's a serious issue with this team and one that if they rectify it, they'd be so much more fun to watch. It may be some time before we see the Jets get a bit more ambitious, though, because they keep doing some of the same stuff and, like, I don't really understand it. You know, in some ways I do, it's just, it's very frustrating and I feel like Winnipeg is holding itself back from greatness because it it feels like it has to play this more conservative style when really, just cut loose and have fun. This season is basically a wash, but if you're willing to trade chances and, and push the tempo just a little bit more, the Jets might actually do something and make some noise. If Winnipeg is going to go down, then go down swinging and have fun. That's what we want to see. Give me that burning passion and energy and fight that this team was known for just a few seasons ago. I miss those good old Jets, man. They were so much fun to watch, and like this team is not the worst to watch. Sometimes they're very entertaining, but it's just, there's something still missing for me. So maybe watching the Manitoba Moose will restore that faith a little bit, right? 
Well, after watching a couple of Moose games here and there, uh, I'm not 100% sure. So I'll talk a little bit about tonight's game and what I noticed from some of uh, Winnipeg's top prospects in a little bit. But before then, I thought you should know about why BetOnline.ag needs to be your one-stop shop for all your online betting needs. When it comes to online betting, it's hard to find the safest and reliable options out there. How can you trust that your money is in good hands? If you're looking for the fastest, safest, most reliable, and easiest way to bet on all your sports action, look no further than BetOnline.ag. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL, and international football leagues are all in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, featuring real-time odds and updated props on anything and everything. Whether you think you know the next Stanley Cup winner, or which member of the cast is about to get the boot from your favorite reality TV show. BetOnline also features the best news, scores, and odds around so you always stay in the know when you're placing your bets. Stop sitting on the sideline and get in on the action today. Go to BetOnline.ag to register for your free account, and when you do, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. Again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to these closing moments from the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We've talked a little bit about the adult Jets, and now it's time to talk a little bit about the baby Jets. The Manitoba Moose have had a series against the Toronto Marlies, and you know, it's one of those situations where you sort of have to expect the Moose to lose for most of the most of the games, because let's be honest, Toronto's roster relative to most of the AHL is pretty darn good, and uh, you know, the Marlies have always had Manitoba's number. The game a day or so ago was pretty humiliating for, for the Moose, so it was it was very difficult to imagine them having a big response game, but somehow Mikhail Berdin recovered after a couple of games where his defense really struggled to, to bail him out and keep him in the game, and he had a really strong performance tonight. I think he faced around 40-some shots total and stopped almost all of them, only surrendering two goals and getting the Moose a huge win. I joked that in a lot of ways, you know, the Jets and the Moose are kind of similar, but it, actually there are some very clear differences in, in the way that they have specific problems. You know, the Jets have a huge roster that's very talented with a very weak back end, and you can tell that the, the blue line is definitely their Achilles heel. Because the defense, aside from the regular tactical stuff that I disagree with, also informs the rest of the coaching staff's decisions. With the Moose, the entire roster is kind of the problem because their forward lineup is really weak. I would say that their blue line is probably the strongest part of that team. Uh, the rest of it, they don't really have any forward depth, and their top two lines are, are decent, but aside from like Perfetti and maybe Christian Reichel and uh, Skylar McKenzie, their attacking output is very limited. You know, Nathan Todd's probably one of their top forwards. Same for Tyler Gravos. These aren't guys that you would lean on as elite top six players in the AHL. Ideally, they're more like third or fourth liners, but in this situation here, they're elevated into to huge playing times, and I don't really see the Moose being a particularly competitive force. And it sort of makes me wonder if that's preferable to have guys like Heinola and Sandberg playing under these conditions. Oftentimes, Manitoba is a bit of a, uh, a bit of a tire fire inside its own defensive zone, which isn't super shocking, but even when they're able to exit cleanly or get some sort of a counter going, they don't really have the pace or the offensive depth to actually capitalize on those uh, those chances. And so I'm sort of left to wonder what exactly the Moose are planning for this season, just because looking at their team and the roster and how they've played against a pretty decent team in the Toronto Marlies, I'm kind of concerned about the rest of their season. It doesn't look great. Uh, I think the lack of talent is a serious problem, and I don't know if those are great conditions to try and get Heinola, Sandberg, and some of the other young prospects acclimated to this level of pro hockey. 
it's certainly very challenging conditions and you'll see a lot of growth I'm sure but by the same token you also don't want to instill this level of low morale and maybe a lack of confidence that could shatter a prospect. I don't think Heinle is going to have an issue with this because he's already played pro league hockey so he's probably used to at some level uh, you know this sort of disappointment that kind of comes with teams when they're in, in bad stretches but who knows about some of these other kids and I feel like the Jets building a winning pedigree at both levels of hockey would be ideal. It's not necessarily possible right now. I think COVID has probably uh, tapped the budget for the Manitoba Moose's roster so I get that you know in a lot of ways I do understand but I also question whether or not you know Heinola and Sandberg playing for the Moose that's a, a very bad squad is actually going to be a, a useful developmental step for them rather than just playing some NHL games first. I get if the Jets want to defer a season or two for some of these ELCs, but by the same token, you know, the Jets don't have many opportunities to win now, and I think that they need to try and capitalize on those chances as much as possible. With how offensively aggressive and skilled and calm on the puck that Sandberg is, same with Heinola, really, you know, I feel like both of those guys could be huge assets on this back end, and defensively speaking, they're both very smart players. Sandberg may not have the distribution or vision of somebody like uh, a Heinola or even like the power play quarterbacking skills, but that's okay because he's still very good at moving the puck, he's very smart about attacking the offensive zone, and he uses his frame to his advantage. Call one of these guys up, see what they can do, and kind of go from there. Maybe one of these players can be a huge difference maker for this team that's right now struggling under the weight of a very bad defense. I'd be curious to know your thoughts on this, though, so if you have any ideas, be sure to let me know at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. That will wrap up tonight's episode, though. Before you log off, be sure to tune in to Locked On NHL. Every Wednesday on Locked On NHL, take a deep dive into the Western Conference with Sarah Avampato of Locked On Kings and Tom Gazzola of Locked On Oilers. Whether it's a look at top-end contenders like Vegas and Colorado or breaking down the rebuilds of the Kings and Blackhawks, Locked On NHL has you covered on Western Conference Wednesdays. Subscribe to Locked On NHL wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go.